The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. So, most of you know, uh, today is a new day, a new chapter uh, in the history of both our church and Bent Creek as they have voted to enfold with us and us to become one church together. Um, and so we're, we're beginning today the process of becoming one new church family. And I say process on purpose uh, because it's going to take time and effort before we feel like one family. And that's, that's the responsibility of every one of us. And so uh, we are super grateful for those who are uh, members of Vent Creek who uh, listen to the, the promptings of the Lord and, and for you all as well uh, as we voted together that this is where we feel like the Lord is calling us. And I am, I don't know about you, but I am very excited uh, about a future together for the glory of God, for the good of our city as we become one congregation. So my plea to us is that we would stay low before the Lord, that we would remain open-handed Um, And if we do that, I am confident that he will bless us beyond measure, um, even more than we could ask or imagine. Amen? So as we begin this new chapter, why not start by turning our attention towards the Word of God? Um, As I've been thinking about, you know, this vote happened October the 16th, and so in these last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot and praying a lot about uh, what kind of culture we desire here? What, what's the Lord calling us to do and to be as a church? And it's not that different than what Missio or Bent Creek, for that matter, have always been. Uh, but I, I want to clarify some of those things. And so uh, every organization, every church, every family has a culture, right? Has uh, a set of convictions and values and attitudes and actions that sort of define who they are. Uh, and so as, as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I thought, why not go back to the first place in scripture where the early followers of Jesus were actually called Christians. Who they were and how they lived was so unique that the outside world had to say, there's a new name for this and it's Christian, meaning belonging to Christ. And if we're gonna be known for anything, church, let's be known for belonging to Christ, amen? Okay, so we're gonna be in Acts chapter 11. We're looking at the the church at Antioch, which if you were in our Acts series uh, about a year ago, Uh, We looked at this passage, but uh, don't worry. I didn't just pull out an old copy and we're preaching the same old thing, okay? Um, It's it's new and fresh because because I work for a living. I'm not, (laughs) I don't actually just, okay. Anyway, uh, let me read it. Acts 11, we're gonna start in verse 19 uh, and then we'll go down to the end of the chapter. Matt, if you could just pull that down just a little bit. I feel a little too much echo coming back at me. Thank you. You guys can still hear me, yeah? yeah? All right. Acts 11, let's start in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad 
And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas took, uh, sorry, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and by Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful this morning um, that you have led us to this point and we uh, gratefully and joyfully begin a new day, a new chapter in the life of your church, uh, this local expression of the body of Christ. We're grateful for uh, just the, the, the future ahead of us. And as we partner together in the gospel, as we blend these two congregations into one, uh, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us, that we would stay humble before you, listening to the leading of your spirit, obeying your word. Uh, and Lord, we look forward to much fruit that will be born Uh, from this partnership in the gospel for your glory. And so today, as we look at the scriptures, help us to, help me to rightly divide this word, help us to rightly apply this word into our own lives uh, so that we might live as people who belong to Christ. We ask this in your beautiful name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, first thing I wanna point out to you here, I'm just gonna go ahead and give you a point and then we'll look at the text again, uh, is the, the early Christians were a people of good news. They were a people of good news. Looking back at verses 19 through 22, uh, you see that the church was scattered because of persecution. So if you remember back to uh, Acts chapter 7, 8, okay, Saul, who would eventually become Paul, but at this point he's Saul, he's a religious man, uh, a Jewish man who hates Jesus, hates the Christian church, is persecuting the church, sees it as his life mission to stamp out the Christian church. Uh, he begins persecuting, ramping up his persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And when he does that, the Christians there scatter. The leaders stay behind because if the ship's going to go down, they're going to go down with it. But the, but, but the other believers, the everyday kind of Christians, they, they are pressed out into other cities and other regions. And so um, how many of you know hardship leads to greater fruit in your life most of the time? Yeah. I was just reading this morning, John 15, once again, and Um, Jesus says, those who bear fruit are pruned so that they might bear more fruit. And so hardship, the hardship that that the Christian church faced leads to greater fruit. The leaders stay behind, the others scatter. Some of them end up in Antioch. Now, my community group said I needed a map. So I'm going to put up a map once again. uh, This is, it's a little hard to see here, but if you see Syria on the far right of the screen, okay, uh, just up in the top left corner of Syria is where Antioch is, okay? So the Christians were fleeing from Jerusalem down at the bottom right, Palestine, and met, some of them made their way up to Antioch. And what was happening was everybody thought that the Christian movement was just for Jews originally, just an extension of the Jewish uh, uh, faith. And so uh, when those persecuted Christians made their way to Antioch, they were only sharing the gospel with Jews at first, But after Acts chapter 10, if you remember, Peter with his pig in a blanket dream, 
And uh, uh, this man, Cornelius, who was a non-Jewish God-fearer who surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus, uh, Acts chapter 11, they go before the Jerusalem council and they determine, oh, the gospel is actually for everybody, not just for Jews. Praise God for that, or else hardly any of us would be in this room. And so, um, so once the Christians understood, oh, the gospel's for everybody, there were other Christians. The text tells us that there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which you can see there, uh, sort of at the tip of Africa there, Cyrene. Uh, and and they, they also made their way to Antioch, and they began to proclaim the gospel to all kinds of people, Jewish people, uh, Gentile people, all kinds of people. And so as they, as they start doing that, people are responding to the gospel. Now, here's, you can get rid of the map. Um, here's what I want you to see. When it says in the text, here in uh, Acts, uh, let me see here, verse 20, they spoke to the Hellenists, that's Greek-speaking non-Jewish people. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. When you hear that, don't think um, what I'm doing right now, right? On a platform with a microphone or lectern. Don't think on a street corner, okay? Uh, The word here just means they were sharing good news. So these were everyday people who were going about their regular rhythms of life, sharing the good news about Jesus as they went. And the scripture says the hand of the Lord was upon them, meaning his favor His blessing was upon these Christians as they went about everyday life sharing the good news about Jesus and lives were changed. The hearts of these non-Jewish pagan people started to open up to the gospel. They started to understand that Jesus lived a life they couldn't, perfect, sinless, above reproach, without error or flaw, even though he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. And that Jesus went to the cross, and at the cross, he died in our place for all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our foolishness and stupidity uh, and rebellion against God. That he absorbed all of that into himself and took the judgment of God in our place. And that uh, he died, he really died in our place. And then he rose again from the grave three days later, conquering sin and death for us right? Um, Romans 4 says that he was raised for our justification, this understanding that his resurrection proved that his payment was worthy, that it was sufficient for our sins. And so these people, upon hearing the news, the gospel of Jesus, they start to repent. They're turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. They're believing. They're, They're placing their hope and their faith. They're receiving with empty hands the finished work of Christ for them, and their lives are forever changed. And so the message gets back to Jerusalem that God is up to to something and they send Barnabas this 300 miles uh, to go investigate and and sort of confirm what's happening here. Here's what I want you to see in this passage. Who is it that God used to build the church at Antioch? Was it an apostle? No. Was it a pastor? Was it a church planner? No. The church at Antioch was built on everyday, ordinary Christians, just like you and me, who love Jesus and were open with their faith in Christ. And outside of a few rare occasions, like Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches and 2,000 people get saved, outside of that, the normative pattern by which God builds his church, by which God extends his kingdom, 
It's through everyday, ordinary people like you and me loving Jesus and being open about our faith in Christ. That's how Bent Creek Church was built 122 years ago. That's how Missio Day Church was built 15 years ago. And if we desire to see the legacies of both of these congregations continue, if we desire to see more people meet Jesus through this church, that's how it's going to happen. It's, it's not one person preaching and 2,000 people getting saved. It's 2,000 people preaching and one person getting saved. Huh. Everyday people like us, worshiping Jesus as a family on mission with Jesus. So just a reminder to all of us, if we are saved, we are also sent. And you are uniquely placed, every one of you is uniquely placed right now in relationships that perhaps in this season only you can reach them for the go- with the gospel. Some of you, uh, it's, it's your friends, the unique friendships that you have. For some of you, it's in your workplace, among the coworkers that you work with. For some of you, it's your neighbors, the, the, the people that God has placed around you in your neighborhood or maybe in your recreation at the gym. You know, you've got gym buddies that, that God has just placed you there to be a witness for him. Um, for some of you, your primary mission field right now is your children. And that is, that is our culture sort of knocks that, like you be superwoman or superman who like raises your kids and has a full-time job and does it all. Uh, and that is a load of garbage, but that's a whole other sermon. My, my, my point in that is, uh, those of you who have the privilege of being stay-at-home parents, like you have a, you have a captive audience <laughs> every single day for the gospel. Some of you, your mission field is your grandchildren, that you have time around your grandkids right now that is very precious, and, uh, and you have great influence into their lives. It can be anyone, anywhere. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned my barber to you several times before, and this is so fun. This past week, I was praying, and uh, I I'd sort of bullet point out some prayers a- a- every morning after I read the scripture. And I just realized it's been a little while since I've had a like, good gospel conversation with a non-believer, right? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I work around Christians, you know, and so I don't get out there as much as I'd like to. And so um, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, I would love to have a, a rich gospel conversation today. And I happened to have a haircut scheduled. And so I show up to my barber and I'm in the chair for five minutes. And she says, hey, were you always religious? Like, what's your story? (laughs) Right? And so I get to have this amazing conversation about how I didn't grow up in church and, um, and we related on some stuff. And then I just was able to share the gospel and share how Jesus is real and has changed my life. And she was like, So it, he, it works. <laughs> like he answers those prayers. And, and th- this is how the church will be built on every one of us, loving Jesus uh, and, and, and seeking out those kinds of conversations. Imagine, imagine if God would choose to use you, even you, to lead someone else to the Lord. What, how amazing would that be, right? That he would grant us the privilege of seeing someone else that we have a close relationship with uh, come to follow Jesus. 
Um, and I know there are, we, ha- we have a thousand excuses as to why we can't or we don't or we're not equipped enough or whatever, and I hear you, but let me just ask you this. If you are unable or unwilling, will you at least pray? Because Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. But he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for more laborers. Would, would you at a bare minimum commit to praying that God would bring more laborers and that more people would embrace his mission together so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus and be a people like the church in Antioch who are a people of good news. With me? Okay. Second thing I want to point out. Um, The early Christians were a people of encouragement. They were a people of encouragement. Um, Let's look at verse 23 again. So Barnabas has been sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here we see they are a people of encouragement. Barnabas comes back. um, So he's traveled, it's like 300 miles from from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's about the the same distance as from here to Nashville. Uh, I did that just a week or two ago. I had to go to Nashville. Um, But I had the luxury of the interstate and a car, right? I didn't have to travel on a horse or whatever uh, they took then. So imagine that, right? 300-mile journey on a horse or donkey or by foot or however he got there. And he comes to this church and he finds the grace of God on display. And he is filled with joy because he has seen God at work in Jerusalem, but now he has the privilege of seeing God at work outside of Jerusalem, which is a big deal for this early Christian movement, that, that God's gospel is for everyone and not just for the Jewish Christians. And so he he comes there, he sees that he is, uh, notice the description of Barnabas, by the way. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Like when, when God sees fit to, to take you away from this earth and that is the legacy that's left behind of your life, isn't that enough? Like what, isn't that a great epitaph on your tombstone? She was a good woman full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. God, would you grant us to be that kind of people? Would we be that kind of people, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith? Good men, good women. So Barnabas gets there with Paul. They spend a whole year with these new Christians, discipling them, training them. And and Barnabas does what Barnabas does best. Uh, His name, if you remember from our study of Acts, means son of encouragement. And so he's going to do what he does. He's going to encourage the church there. And I think Paul helped him in this. And so they spend a year encouraging and exhorting them in the Lord. Um, How much, church, how much encouragement do you get out there during the week? Not enough, enough, right? Not very much. There, There is so much in this world that wears us down. That, um that divides our attention and our affection for the Lord, so much that discourages us. Um, And I think it's actually proportionate to the amount of news you watch, but 
that's another sermon also. The criticism, the condemnation, the shame, the backbiting, the negativity that's out there in the world just brings us down. And God has seen fit to make the church, his church, a unique entity in the world. One, a community that is, that is marked by deep encouragement and deep comfort and deep love for one another. That's, that's what we experience from Jesus, isn't it? Like, does Jesus change us? Does Jesus transform us through coercion, through shame, through guilt, through pressure? Is that how Jesus transforms his people? No. He encourages us. Romans 8.1, uh, there, is, there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ. None. Not now, not ever. And so if there is no condemnation, no accusation, no indictment, by the way, if you, if you hear condemnation or accusation or indictment in your spirit, it is not from the Lord. It is not from the Holy Spirit. It is not from Christ. And we would love to pray over you that those voices are silenced by the voice of Jesus, which says you are loved, you are accepted, you are forgiven. There is only encouragement in Jesus Christ. And so if there is not condemnation, if there's not accusation, if there's not indictment in Jesus Christ, there must be the opposite, advocacy, consolation, encouragement. Now that doesn't mean there's not conviction, but conviction and condemnation are different things. So the church is uniquely called to be this community of deep encouragement, comfort, and love. Um, one, one author I read said that encouragement is the fundamental Christian experience. And though we uh, remain foolish and rebellious, and though we fail a thousand times a day um, to, to measure up or to uh, live in ways that are honoring to the Lord Jesus, the beautiful truth of the gospel is that we will never in all our folly and failure be able to exhaust him. He, Jesus will never look at you in your failure and folly and go, okay, that's it. We are done. Never. Which is why Paul tells us in Romans 2, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Uh, on the days when you are your worst and you look at yourself and you go, I am an idiot. Jesus looks at you and says, yeah, but you're my idiot. <laughs> and that, that reality should melt our hearts and make us want to change and want to depend on him for the strength that we don't have within us in order to change. So let the church be a place where we can experience this strengthening, this reassurance, this encouragement, um, by the Spirit of God through one another. Because we need it. We need it. No one has ever suffered from being over-encouraged. And, and the author of Hebrews reminds us, if you need encouragement, ask for it. Right? Hebrews 3 says, 
uh, exhort one another, encourage one another, as long as it's called today. Like we are called to do this for one another because the Lord knows that we need it. And look at the difference that it made. Great numbers of people in Antioch surrender to Jesus from all kinds of different backgrounds, from all kinds of different cultures. Now, um, one thing I failed to mention earlier is that Antioch was a multicultural city. It's the third largest city in uh, the, the known world at that time. And so there were all these different groups of ethnicities and cultures and religions that, were, that had made a home in Antioch. And there was a wall around Antioch, but there were also walls inside Antioch to divide all the little ethnic, ethnic groups and cultures from one another. But when the gospel came in, it started to unite people who were otherwise had, had been at odds with each other. Those dividing walls of hostility, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, started to come down. And you started to see uh, this Christian church made up of all of the different groups, all the different cultures, all the different ethnicities. And that was so odd. That was so unique. That was so different that when the, the culture of Antioch at large looked at these followers of Jesus and looked at the fact that all these different people groups and ethnicities and cultures were all worshiping Jesus together, they went, huh, that's different. That's unique. That is, what do we call this? Because they had never seen it before. And so they had to say, you must belong to Christ. You are Christian, I-A-N, belonging to Christ. This is where the believers in Jesus were first called Christians. The way they lived, the way the gospel had penetrated the hearts of people and united them and brought them together from all these different cultures was so distinct that they named them Christians. They had to find another way of describing it. Would it be that what we experience together in this place would be so radical and so different and so unique that our city has to look at it and say, it is obvious you belong to Jesus. And they mean that respectfully, not derogatorily, right? There's a lot of ways people are marked by Christ right now that are not good. And, and it remains to be seen whether those people actually belong to Christ or not. That's for the Lord to determine. But what would it, what would it be like if, if we were such a people who loved so fiercely and honored so generously that, that when people outside the walls got a hint of it, got a, a taste of it, got a, a whiff of it, they went, whoa, that, that has the aroma of Jesus. I don't know how to get there, but I think it starts with dependence <laughs> and prayer. Would you pray with us that that is the kind of church that the Lord makes us out to be a people of encouragement? Now, uh, finally, I got one more point and then an exhortation to you. Um, and somewhere in there, I think we have a new name, so we'll get there. Um, you don't want to know that, do you? <laughs> My final point is that the early Christians were a people of generosity. Look again at verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. There's historical verification that this famine did occur. 
And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this prophet comes down. Agabus, we see him later in um, the book of Acts. He's the one who warns Paul that if he, if he goes, uh, he's going to get arrested and, and, and die. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, I know. God told me to. Still going. Um, so he's a prophet. At this time, regardless of what you believe about prophecy today, uh, there were prophets who mostly foretold, they told truth, sometimes foretold future events. And so it, apparently in this case, Agabus is going to foretell something that's going to happen. But um, regardless, he comes again, the 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch to exhort, to warn, to encourage the saints. Um, and, and so his message is that there's going to be a famine. And notice what happens. Who is it that decides to, to give towards the church of Judea? Verse 29. Who, the disciples. This didn't come from the leadership. They didn't put up like a big thermometer, you know, on the screen and go, we need to reach this level in order, right? Um, the disciples, these, these brand new one-year-old baby Christians, <laughs> right? Paul and Barnabas spent a year with them and encouraged them. And apparently uh, they got it. They got the gospel. They, they, they understood 2 Corinthians 8, 9, before Paul ever wrote it, right? That Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him. And these Christians de decided among themselves to give towards the relief of the saints in Judea. It was their decision, driven by gospel. They were not pressured. They were not um, made to feel shame or guilt. They were not, right? It was, oh, we have friends in need? Well, let's help. What do we do? And so they were driven by the gospel to show generosity, to care for the church, and to advance the mission. And I love how it says, each of them gave according to their ability. According to their ability, which means some had the ability to give big amounts, and they gave. And some had the ability only to give little amounts, like that woman at the temple who dropped in a couple copper coins, you know? And Jesus said, she's given more than everyone. Um, but everyone could give something and everyone did give something and they were able to gather up this generous offering and send it back to the church uh, in Jerusalem in the region of Judea to help out with the famine there. Now, clearly um, in context, this is specifically about financial generosity, but I want us to think, as we think about this, we're not facing a famine. Um, so let's think more broadly about what generosity means. Generosity really, at the end of the day, is really about being open-handed with whatever the Lord has entrusted to us. Now, our churches obviously depend on the generosity, both uh, primarily financially of those who are part of this church, and, and Bent Creek does as well. And though we're not at the point yet, we, we still have some legal details to finalize in order to become this one new church. And so for those of you who are financial partners to our church or to Bent Creek, just keep doing what you're currently doing. Uh, if you are not givers yet to either church, uh, you can begin that process uh, to Missio Day. And as we, um, as we legally become uh, under the new name, we'll, we'll give you information on that. But, but 
generosity extends far beyond money. Okay, it includes our time. Um, it includes our, our giftedness. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, talks about uh, the various giftings that we are entrusted and how we should put those into action for the sake of the church. If we are a family, then everyone is useful. Everyone. No matter how young or how old. We all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have time. We all have resources that we can put in the pot, so to speak, to help carry the mission of God through the church forward. And so if we are people who understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if we're a people who understand that everything we have is a gift, um, our, our hours on the calendar are his, uh, our giftedness and ability is his, the, the dollars in our checkbook are his, uh, then we steward all of those things for his glory and for the good of his people and for those who don't know him, um, uh, we steward those well. And so each according to his ability. According to your ability. So we give regularly, generos- generously, sacrificially, joyfully of our time, of our resources, of our money um, in order to honor Jesus and to advance the mission of the church. There will be very soon opportunities uh, for you specifically to give your gifting as we think about relocation, as we think about new ministry seasons, um, we're going to need a lot of hands. I know it feels like we have a big church, which we don't. We have a medium-sized church, but um, we have a small church-sized serve teams post-COVID. And uh, people have been willing to come back and attend, but not jump back into serving. Um, and we got a whole host of opportunities and needs that will be present uh, as we consider Uh, the next couple of months and getting moved over, not only to renovate and help with that process, but actually to serve in ministries um, once we get over there. And so uh, I believe it's December 4th. Yeah, December 4th. um, We're going to be sharing many of those opportunities with you. And I I pray that you'll be here and and be ready to um, understand what those things are and then be able to jump in. Okay. Uh, Last thing. Almost done. Um. Look back at verse 23 one more time. You guys still hanging in with me? Okay. Verse 23, one more time. Barnabas came and he saw the grace of God and he was glad. He was filled with joy. Haven't we seen the grace of God in the last few months over this process? Are we glad to see the Lord at work? So here's what... Barnabas did, he exhorted or encouraged the people to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And by God's grace, the church at Antioch did remain faithful to the Lord for a very, very long time. And they were fruitful. God made them fruitful. Um, you, you may remember this from uh, our study of Acts if you're with us, but the church at Antioch really became the new home base for the Christian church. Uh, Jerusalem was the home of the Jewish church. And then w- when, when the gospel spread beyond Jews to all, all nations, Antioch actually be, kind of became home base. They became a hub for mission. Uh, all of Paul's missionary journeys were sent from Antioch. And so Antioch in some ways uh, has the privilege of, of not being the mother church, that would still be Jerusalem, but, um, but used mightily on all of those missionary journeys that Paul went on to plant churches. And so... Um, because of this, uh, let me skip forward really quickly 
to Acts 13, one of my favorite verses. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. In Acts 13, 49, here's the result of the first missionary journey. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Isn't that good news? Uh, One translation, I think it's the NLT, says the word of God was spreading like wildfire throughout the whole region. And man, what, what, what an amazing thing that would be to see the the gospel spread throughout this entire region, all of Western North Carolina for the glory of God and for the good of people who don't know him yet. And so we want to continue the precedent that was set by both Bent Creek and Missio Day over these last 120 years, 15 years for us, right? This, this precedent of maturing disciples, seeing people grow in their, in their faith and then multiply that faith through church plants and missionaries and all kinds of other things. And so as we embrace the love of God together, as we embrace the the faithfulness of God together through Christ, as we um, give ourselves to the purposes of Christ, here's my exhortation to you. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This is not the time to let up. Don't coast. Let's, let's press in together for deeper dependence on the Lord Jesus. Let's keep worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep on our knees praying and asking for him to do what only he can do. Let's keep sharing the hope of Jesus with those who don't yet know him. Let's keep loving and encouraging one another within the church. Let's keep serving and giving of ourselves so that uh, others are encouraged and grow and, and multiply in the faith. Be faithful with steadfast purpose. I like that so much, I think we ought to name the church that. We're gonna be called Steadfast Church, guys. That's not the logo. Yeah, you can clap. That is not the logo yet, it's just a name, Uh, it's just a word, but I wanted to put it up there so you could see it. Here's the thing, we are embracing the steadfast love of the Lord for us. And we are called to remain steadfast in the world. And uh, as we went through different iterations of names and ideas, like just sort of kept circling back to this biblical word. It's used, I think, 111 times in the ESV. Um, and so if you love it, let me know. If you don't, don't say a word. Um, <laughs> but it'll grow on us over time. Um, so welcome to Steadfast, y'all. This is the name of our new church. Um, Okay. I'm really excited about the future together. And I hope you are too. Um, as, we, as we remain steadfast to the Lord, I think that then we'll know that we're past just going to church. And we're actually learning to be the church. Um, and we'll see the, the power of God's gospel in us. And it will be non-ignorable. That's the prayer, right? Is that the... the, the the beauty of God, the gospel of God would be non-ignorable in our city because of the way that he chooses to use his people. And not just our church, but other churches. This is my prayer for other churches as well, right? Um, This isn't just our thing. This is the call of all Christians in our community. So let me do this. Let me pray for us. I don't have questions uh, to put on the screen this morning. So um, we're we're just going to take a moment of silence here. Um, we'll open the tables up for communion and then we're going to sing a few songs and celebrate the gospel through song. Um, and then I will come up and give you a benediction and some final instructions. But, um, 
Yeah, let me just pray for us right now. Father, I thank you so much for your steadfast love, which is undeniable because we see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there is no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, you've done that for us. And so in response to your steadfast love, Jesus, we want to be a steadfast people. We want to be a people who are firm in our convictions, who um, are not tossed to and fro by uh, the waves of this world, um, but who are steady and stable um, and who love like you loved. And so help us as we embrace the, the people of Bent Creek, as we um, make this transition over the next couple of months, it's going to be easy to feel the bumps in the road. It's going to be easy to turn in on ourselves and to think, well, I would rather it be this way or, or this thing. Or, and, and Lord, let, let us be humble and open-handed. Make us a people who are, who are full of good news, who are encouragers, who are generous, so that when, when the world looks at us, they say, you must belong to Jesus. That's a work that only you can do. And so would you do that in us and would you use us for your glory, Lord? We love you, we thank you. We ask you to be honored now as we respond through singing, through communion, through giving um, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.